0: Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Happy New Year. How are those resolutions going? This week we're going to learn how to be more like the good people of South Dakota who keep their resolutions. Today we're going to talk about how we can be good stewards of our bodies this year. In this episode of Candid, we will learn what we can do to make progress on our health and fitness goals. Warning, this is not a quick fix, but the good news is it only takes 10 minutes a day. Today, I've invited a good friend of mine, Dave Hubbard, to Candid Conversations. Dave is known as America's fitness coach. He specializes in helping people increase their energy, stamina, and personal performance so they can be healthier and more productive. Dave is a former NFL athlete and has been speaking to Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies, as well as lots of organizations throughout America over 30 years. Dave has been featured many times on radio and television and is a published author. Oh, and he's also a pastor. Today, we hope to offer practical advice, but we'll also discuss the underlying spiritual principles at work. Now to the program. Dave, you have a tremendous background, a lot of experience. Uh, We're thinking about New Year's resolutions, changes in our lives, health, fitness, all these things. It's things that everybody tends to think about around this time of year. Paint us a little picture of who you are, your story, your background, and then we'll kind of delve in a little bit more on the sort of New Year's resolution ideas. Sure. Well, with that introduction, I'll lead you up to what I
1: call my fitness crisis, which then propelled me into uh, the other thing that I do and have done for the last 30 years, which is all about health and fitness. I grew up in Napa, California, and uh, people always go, oh, yeah. But I actually grew up in Napa at a time when grapes were not the main agricultural crop, believe it or not. It was plums and walnuts, and uh, all of that changed when I was in high school. and literally changed everything a bedroom community for the very wealthy out of San Francisco and then pretty soon the world. I grew up on a a farm or on a ranch, a small ranch, and uh, we raised all of our own food, raised our own beef. And um, there were five of us kids. Uh, I grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. It was a great church. My parents were very much involved. Socially, that was our life. Uh, Anytime the doors were open, we were there. My mom played the piano and the organ. And my dad was, you know, an elder and very much involved in, in everything of the church. Mm-hmm. And so the church was a, a big part of my life going forward. None of us had a way to have our college paid for, but all of us ended up with a full scholarship. For me, it ended up being athletic and I ended up going to BYU, which is interesting as a Christian. But uh, back then, and even then, they were a school of about 30,000, and they were trying to climb the ladder in the NCAA. So it was a very much a diff- big difference between academic and athletic. Athletic, only I think less than 10% were Mormon across all the sports. Right. Most of the coaches were not Mormon. So it wasn't any different than any other major college university in that sense, but academically, yes, it was. And uh, ultimately, there I figured out kind of why God wanted me there Two in that I ended up, um, when I did go into the ministry full time, doing a lot of um, seminars on Mormonism in the West Coast uh, because so many Mormons at that time were flooding churches, the churches and people didn't really know, know what to do. They didn't really know what they believed. Right. Then, after uh, I had the opportunity to play professionally, I was drafted by the New Orleans Saints, played with uh, Archie Manning, and Pank um, Stram was the coach. Uh, if you remember him, he died, he passed away a few years ago, but he was a Hall of Fame coach, and he was a great, great guy. And I didn't play long, and 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 there's a long story to that. But I and I'm glad because I can move. I mean, I mean, you know, seriously, <laughs> yes, I totally yeah, get that. Li- literally, yeah. those my age, I'm in my mid 60s, who played in that decade. Uh, if you played for seven and ten. 12 years, you you can't – these can't move. Part of that was the AstroTurf decade, uh, and that was the bad, nasty old AstroTurf. The AstroDome. Yeah, and, well, SuperDome. And actually, the domes weren't too bad because they – you could pad it up in the domes. The cell job on the AstroTurf was how it's going to save you so much money. So the teams bid on it, and, of course, it was a new idea. So they put it in, but what they didn't realize was in any area – where in Atlanta would have been the case because of the humidity, right. San Francisco absolutely because it was like right on the bay with right. Candlestick Park. Um, the padding that they put underneath that plastic grass turf rotted and mildewed within the, the the season year. So now the expense has gone through the roof. You have to tear it all up and replace it again. So what they did after one or two times, I said, you know, we're not putting padding in anymore. Guns, That's literally what happened, and you were play, You were literally playing. On concrete, with on a, on a rug, but I survived that without any uh, serious injuries. Right after I uh, I stepped out, and and I ended up going right into the ministry full time. So I was just starting as a youth pastor at that time, and um, I had always wanted to go parachuting. I was always very adventurous in that sense of trying new things and wanted to do it. And I say parachuting. Some people, wait a minute, what what is that? You know, because they're used to skydiving. Now, if you go, you do a tandem jump. You're hooked to somebody else. And you're going out at 14,000 feet. And you're falling for a long way before the chute opens. Back then... The first time you did it was a military style jump. It was a it was a static line jump. Right. Okay, where you go at a much lower altitude. And it opens and up. And you come right as you come out of the plane, it pulls the chute open and uh, you're you're good to go. I had a few buddies of mine and we, we drove in up there, it was about by YOLO County near UC Davis and we're out in a kind of a plowed field, a shack of a building that did not look very impressive at all. And probably about twenty-five people had gathered, paid their money, signed their life away. And we're all wondering who's in charge you know, with this whole thing because nobody has said, hey, it starts here. You Give know? me your money. Yeah. And so at that point, we hear a sound. We look up a small plane and a dot comes out of the plane. He does some acrobatic stuff. And then the chute opens and he comes down and he lands on his toes, tiptoes on the picnic table in the middle of us. And he pulls off his helmet and he says, Hi, I'm your instructor. And it was, it was so great. I mean, it was one of the greatest entrances of all time. And this guy was, you know, leathery, tan skin, earrings, long hair, tattoos. You know, He had he was a Vietnam jumper, you know, who had thousands of jumps. And and so he started by telling us, you know, uh, what you probably are, don't know is that statistically what you're going to do today is extremely safe. Much safer than you get in your car and driving here today. He said, I've... Jump people six days a week for six years here. We've never had an incident. But Murphy's Law applies to parachuting like it does anything else. So we're going to teach you a cadence, and you're going to need to memorize that cadence or you don't jump today. So he said the cadence will be this. When it's your turn, the pilot's going to say, feet out, get out, and go. And you just follow those instructions. And when you let go, you're to start your cadence. You're to throw your arms out, and you're to say, arch 1,000. Check two thousand. Check three thousand. Each time, looking over the opposite shoulder, and he said, "By that time, that's three seconds. Your shoot should be open." And he said, "If it's not, he pauses. You know, he says, have you- 'You've you've got a bad shoot.'" And you say, "Bad shoot," and we're like everybody's on a nervous laughter. It's like you're <laughs> kidding me. You guys sat in a boardroom and came up with that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> bad shoot, really? Yeah. But uh, but he plays off that, which is great, by saying. What you need to understand is a bad shoot is a really, 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 really bad shoot, and it, it never will be a good shoot, not ever. You cannot fix it. Whatever you do, you can't fix it. So the so that triggers the next and last thing you say in the in the cadence, which is cutaway. And when you say cutaway, you put your hands in some steel clasps. You open those steel rings, pop out. You put your thumbs in and pull. And when you do that, entire pack shoot and all bad shoot and all leaves your body, and a line is, is attached to the aluminum ripcord, it pulls it out as it goes. It's got a literally a powder charge, quick release, uh, spring release, your your spare chute opens, and everything's fine. So we memorized that. We did uh, role play in a mock airplane. We took written tests, oral tests, until literally for hours until he was convinced we all had it down. I was chosen to go first for some unknown reason. And so I pile in with about five other people into this literally a wreck of an airplane. I remember as we're going up I'm going <laughs> I get it now. Tape when, when, holding the wings when the on. pilot says go <laughs> you're you're anxious to do so cuz I I'm, I'm not convinced this thing can land. So, you know, I'm up there the pilot says uh, I'm sitting next to the door where there's no door and and uh, I'm nervous at this point cuz so I've told Everybody my whole life, I'm going to do this. And now it's a moment of truth, you know. And he says, feet out. And I put my feet out. Immediately they fly up and hit the side of the plane. You know, we're going 90 miles an hour. I fight my feet back down. He's looking. As soon as I get settled, he says, get out. And I get out. And at that moment, you know, only one foot sits on, fits on the platform. It's about the size of a shoebox. Mm-hmm. The other one's dangling in space. Because my height, I can feel the underside of the wing on my back hands on the struts and right right at that point it hits me it's like Hubbard you idiot what are you doing and you start to back the other way and you're just like it's too late and he says go and you just you've practiced and you just let go so I let go and threw my arms up and arch 1,000 check 2,000 check 3,000 and I had a bad shoot I had a bad shoot and you know they say that two things happen in a really shocking Hmm. highly stressful situation Hmm. and I had both one is what's called brain lock, where your your mind just seizes up on one thing. And I brain locked on bad shoot. I said it about 150 times. You know, I just, bad shoot, bad shoot, bad shoot, bad shoot. And you think, well, you know, that shouldn't be that big of a deal. You know, you should have a little time to collect yourself. Here's what they tell you. And I remember him going through it, but it, it doesn't connect because you don't feel any of it. They said that there's no sensation of falling in parachuting. None. It's not like riding a roller coaster at Six Flags where your stomach's in your throat. It's all relative. You know in a car you're going 60 miles an hour. The gauge tells you you see things flying by you. Here, you're going almost the speed of the plane forward as you jump. And then you feel like you're floating. Here's the problem. They only jumped from 3,000 feet. My jump at 3,000 feet with that had the chute opened should have taken three and a half minutes. My entire jump took less than 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So I'm just flying – I'm flying through the air at 125 miles an hour and I don't sense that I am at all, okay? No sensation of falling. Mm -hmm. The next thing that happens is is tunnel vision, which is literally kind of a mental, psychological kind of thing where you literally lose your peripheral vision. It begins to limit down to a very narrow area. That affected me as I was trying to – I thought I had the clasp but I couldn't see and do I really have the clasp and I begin this process of stinking thinking. Mm -hmm. And I finally got around to doing what I should have done much earlier, and that was pray. And this was a very short prayer. Yeah. okay? 30 <laughs> no, seconds. no beginning, no end. <laughs> <laughs> it literally was God, God help. I knew I was in big trouble at that point. And I just cried out, God help. And, and uh, I think I heard him say, audibly, <laughs> pull. And I just immediately I looked down, uh, grabbed that, and, and pulled, and bam, I hit the ground. As soon as I pulled it, I hit the ground. And uh, as it turned out, I was only 200 feet off the ground when that released. Doing the math on that, I remember they said, you, "You, I mean, there's literally milliseconds of any hesitation there. So I thought, initially, i would broken every bone on my body. I've passed out and then when I came awake and people were standing over me and saying things like, can I have his watch? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Those there's are my friends. only $10 right? in his wallet. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, so there you go. And it ended up focus- it ended up sitting on, on, on my back. Mm. and um, So... From a ministry standpoint, when I was recovering in the hospital and everything, Mm. God gave me this great allegory Mm. of that story to salvation. Mm. And so that's been for years now, 40 years now, the uh, probably the most requested uh, message that I would come in to give to share testimony slash the gospel Mm. because it's very, very memorable like any uh, good allegory. Mm. And the way that works is that when I'm sitting Next to the door where there's no door, in the plane—it's—it's similar to birth, right? Right. And uh, God says, He doesn't say "feed out" first. Sometimes that happens, (laughs) but uh, it's God who says, not the mother who determines. Get out, time to be born, and so exit the the plane, exit the womb, and you know at that point, going back to Adam and Eve, they—they were born into, they were created differently, but they were under this beautiful open canopy, shoot and landed, if you will in paradise, right. okay, and everything was perfect, and fellowship with God, and intimacy with God, and all the rest. But then God gave him a choice, you know? people say, why, why did he do that, and, and um, I understand. Now, I, I, I really understood that as a parent, I think, better than anything else, because there were times when I would love to be able to control my children with, with a remote control. I, I teach now, high school. And and I'd like to have a remote control on every one of the students, you know. But the only problem with that is, I mean, yeah, where I could say, exactly, you have mute button, it would say, go to bed, it would say, you know, bring daddy a big glass of iced tea, you know. The only problem with that is, you'd have to have another series of buttons on there, like, come sit in daddy's lap and tell him that you love him. Oh, that's special. So, but in in the allegory, at the point that Adam and Eve sinned, every child born from that point forward is born with a bad shoot. And it's a really, really, really bad shoot. And it'll never be a good shoot, ever. You cannot fix it. Unfortunately, so many people try to fix it. You can't fix it. The only thing you do is get rid of it. So now, the spare shoot represents what? It represents Christ. God, because he loves us so much, gave us a second chance. But here's where it gets interesting, because it gives us a second chance, but you know, you still have to pull, right? Yeah. And so... You know, I would tell people I, I've I've been to a, a you know funerals where someone I know lying in the casket, that open casket, never pulled. It's and I almost pictured them lying there in the casket with this perfectly good reserve chute, shiny handle. Why didn't you pull? You know, I came this close to to dying with a perfectly good chute mounted on my chest that I didn't I wouldn't wouldn't have pulled, and so. You know, that, that really is a, a great picture of the gospel. And, uh, of course, when you pull, then God rescues your, your, your life uh, from, from hell and from, from your sin. Yeah. And everything goes forward from there. So on the fitness side, back to what you were saying as far as, you know, goals and, and, and setting goals and New Year and all of that, I, I was faced with a, a, a dilemma that I had never been in. All of a sudden, you know, coming off of that— I was now horribly out of shape, mm. and for the first time in my life, I had to get fit. It's like, what does that mean? What does that even look like? You know, I was a three-sport athlete all the way through, and there was never a time where you were not fit. Right. You just did what the coaches told you to do, and if you did that, well, then everything was fine, and you were all, you were fit. And, of course, that continued into the professional level where it's you know it's very intense, and, and I was in peak physical condition at the point that I jumped out of that plane, but now not so much. Hmm. Actually, what motivated me was um, in one of the NFL newsletters, the title article on the front page was, The Average Lifespan of an Ex-NFL Athlete is Only 53 Years of Age. Hmm. I don't know what that figure is now. Uh, it's, I think it's probably higher than that but uh and I said i said that's that's me i'm I'm that statistic unless I do something right, so the problem was that the things that I knew to do that I would implement, or the things quite honestly that were popular at that time that kind of everybody else was doing, I couldn't do because of my back issue, so I had to come up with another way, so long story short, I developed a, a system by which I could gain strength with intensity, build strength, which is the key, get my strength back, and do so without, but by leaving my back out of it. Yeah. And it was very successful. It happened over a period of like two to three years, and it was very successful. And um, I saw, uh, it was like, you've got to share this, you know, and, and I was way ahead of the curve of what ultimately now has become very popular and I believe is the best way to to get in you know, and stay fit. So I began uh, really telling that story and demonstrating the exercises and that sort of thing. And and um, so pretty soon I was, you know, the marketing of that was ex-professional football player. And, you know, this happened to come in and it's, you know, how to better manage your body, your most valuable asset and, you know, those kinds of things. And so with companies and organizations. And so pretty soon here, you know, just local greater Atlanta and then southeast and then pretty soon all across the country. And mm-hmm. that led to a series of infomercials. and I was on QVC for a period. <laughs> those are some great stories there. Um, and in 2006, I received a U.S. patent for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for kind of what I had developed as far as that, that, that was concerned. And, and then today, what I do, I still do that. I still do the speaking and, and so on uh, with that. And uh, more so to kind of my age group now, kind of the baby boomer mm. AARP group of our age who, uh, because again, it's kind of how do you get and stay fit without beating up your body in the process right. and uh, and focusing on the key things that you want to focus on, which is uh, the core and balance and, and, and overall strength and all, and all of the rest. Mm. Um and then there was a ministry component of that actually called Fit for the Master's Use mm. that I did for two to three years. Probably gave presentations most to most all of the large churches here in the greater Atlanta area. That was before fitness kind of came into the church. Mm, you know what right. I mean? There was, yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, it was kind of after that, a year or two after that, churches were putting in, you know, workout facilities and tracks mm. and gyms and you know, all sorts of things. But up to that point, that was really not the case and so and that's a really interesting discussion i mean a deep dive which i did mm. uh scripturally is really fascinating as it relates to to that
0: yeah and i i want to ask you that i mean you know as we think about again fitness health y- you've done this dive scripturally you've looked at what god's word says as it relates to this where did you go what did you find what were sort of the the gems that you pulled out of that
1: The first thing that I landed on, I think, is the stewardship issue. We talk about financial stewardship all the time, right? And how there are disciplines and responsibilities and there's a way to – God wants us to handle our our money to be good stewards of the money that really isn't ours. Even though we quote-unquote think we generate it, it comes from him, right? And we're just borrowing it. Well, that's the same with our bodies. Mm. God gives us – this miraculous body, we ought to really take care of it, Mm. you know? Mm. Then we go to a verse like uh, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Mm. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. So now, okay, wait a minute. And I think this is where I ultimately landed because to me it's the most motivating. Christ is living his life in me through me. Okay?
0: Yeah.
1: And he wants me what he created me to do good works. Right. He created – he gave me gifts, talents, and abilities that I'm supposed to kind of figure out and then I'm supposed to do all that I do in loving others the way, new covenant, that Christ has loved me. Hmm. And so in order to do that as efficiently yes. and effectively as possible, I need to be in shape. Yeah. I need to have the energy and the vitality and yeah. all of the rest that goes along with that. Yeah. So I think it's definitely it's definitely there. You know, the problem is that you can take it too far, just like anything else. You know, you can cross the line and go over to spending much more time, and, and that that then dovetailed really really well with what my formula that I landed on came out to be, yeah. and it was ten minutes. I found that time – as I talk to people and, and so this will fold right back into the, the kind of the New Year deal. I mean what happens, you know, after the New Year, I mean in my neighborhood and we, we walk in the National Park which our subdivision borders. My wife and I you know, do a walk every morning there with the dogs and I mean it looks like preparation for the Olympic Games. Okay, I mean everybody is, you know. Like, okay, I got to get my act together. It's a new year. Yes, no, no, no. and the then in, in two weeks, it's all gone. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just you can see it just kind of dwindle down. Reality has set in. Yeah. you know. But the biggest issue still, I think, from for most is is time, and 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 time and consistency. So the the thing that I noticed is that people weren't really, it really wasn't becoming a habit for a few. You know, 60% of those who join a club after the first 30 days should not go back on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. What that's all about, they want to be there. Mm-hmm. They joined. Mm-hmm. Many times they're still paying and they'll pay and not go. And forget. You know, but, but, but it's because life is so – and especially today. Yeah. Life is so jammed and crammed with so many things. Then you have – you know, you get married, you have children, and it's just constant. So here was my saying that I, that I put together. It's far better to brush your teeth for two to three minutes a day – then for 45 minutes, two to three times a month. Okay? Same with fitness. Yeah, And, you know, you laugh at that, but that's the way we treat it with fitness. I mean, there isn't a moment. So now we can talk about habit. There, there, I have never stood in front of the sink, looked in the mirror and said, you know what? I got a really busy, rushed morning. I'm not going to brush today. I'll just brush longer tomorrow.
0: Mm.
1: Never done that. Mm. I mindlessly... Take the brush, put on the toothpaste, and I'm brushing my teeth. Now, yeah. what, what happened there? Why, why is that? Well, now we get into the formation of, of habit and how that works. Somebody, in this case, your, your parent or guardian or whomever, right. loved you so much that when you were very little – They took your hand in theirs, put the brush in there, and they held your hand, and they put the toothpaste on, and they made you brush your teeth. And they did it every day or twice a day. And the whole time they were telling you the good things that would happen if you did and the bad things that happened if you didn't. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. there was someone that was kind of coaching you and helping you until it just became a habit. But notice the daily part. See, I I believe the daily part is really, really critical. Mm. Okay? When it comes to you know, a, a, a devotional, mm. quiet time, mm. reading scripture, mm. all the things, you know, your relationship with your spouse, daily is yeah. critical. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you fall off daily and it just becomes this every once in a while kind of things, then things start going south and sideways, mm. you know. So I think it's critical that you identify, here, you know, here are the five, six, ten things that are, that are paramount for me being the best steward right. of my body, my life, my finances, my spiritual development, all the rest, and work that into a daily routine. Right. When we did our tests with people, and we'd say, Mary, we want you to work out for 10 minutes a day, okay? And Bob, you do the kind of the more conventional thing, which is f- half an hour, 45 minutes, two to three times a week. Or maybe you're going to the gym, or maybe you're, you're you're doing it at home. Well, what happens is, you know, the first week he gets his three workouts in. Second week, something changes with who's picking up Jeff at the at soccer, and you know this, that, and the other. And so he misses that day, and then then he misses another day because life happens. Right. And so at the end of the month, invariably, she's worked out every day thirty times every day, yeah, yeah. and he's worked out ten, fifteen times, maybe. Yeah. And so, again, in long term, the daily piece of it is really, really critical. Now, yeah. to me, I make a distinction between exercise and a workout, mm. okay? Exercise is anything you do to just get your body moving. Right. And that's critically important. And here's the other problem with this is the times we live in, okay? Going back even 100 years, we wouldn't have be having this discussion. No, we weren't sitting in chairs yeah. all day. <laughs> exactly right. Here's an amazing statistic. 240 years ago, the birth of this, this nation – 95% of the energy output of this country was from the human body. Mm. Today, it's less than 1%. So elevators, escalators, golf carts, remote control, fireplaces, remote control, everything. Okay. We li- literally live at a time where you can just about do anything without having to move.
0: That's depressing. It re- I mean, <laughs> you,
1: think, you think about it. That's where it's going. Yeah. I use when I do a, a seminar, I, I use the garage door as an example. I'll do this with my high school kids. They have no connection to this whatsoever. I said, imagine when there was no remote garage door opener. So what I have to do is I have to go over. I have to manually pull, and they're heavy, pull the garage door up. Then I have to walk over, open the door, get in the car, back the car out, open the door, get out of the car, walk back, pull the heavy door back down, turn around, walk back, get in the car, and close the door. I can do everything I just said by pushing two buttons. And so that's the same with so many of these of these other things. You go back to biblical times. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We, tracking Paul's missionary journeys, distance. he walked like fifty thousand yeah. miles in three
0: years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I'm sweating just it's, thinking about yeah. it. <laughs> so I mean,
1: yeah, you just didn't because of the of, of what you had to do. And I, I tell the story of my father, how he is an example of someone who who different era, who he naturally got it by virtue of how he was raised. Right. So my dad grew up on a 600-acre ranch in, in, in Auburn, California. I never was able to play sport cause, sports because he had to go home and, and work the ranch. And, but he was the hardest working man I ever knew in my yeah. life. Yeah. He never quote-unquote exercised or worked out in his life. He didn't, he didn't understand the concept of that. It's like, why yeah. would you do that? Yeah. Okay? Because he was just always doing something in physical and, and, you know, and whatever. Yeah. Uh, but he was always super you – know, really, really fit. One time I called. They both – my mom and dad have gone on to be with the Lord probably 15 or so years ago. But I would call and, and, and I, I was calling on this one occasion and I talked to my mom for a while. I said, let me talk to dad. And I said, what's going on? He had put on about 10 pounds. OK? And, and that really bothered him. And he's, 80, and he's in his early 80s now. Okay? He's put on 10 pounds. Really bother him. But he knew instinctively he had two choices. Okay? Either one, cut back on mama's good cooking. That's not a good plan. Okay? <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> or two, that he had lost muscle mass. He'd lost strength and he'd lost muscle mass. Hmm. And so there was an oak tree that had fallen on the property. He had a chainsaw, but he left it in the shop. Hmm. And he grabbed an axe and a handsaw. And he would go down and for 10 or 15 minutes, about all he could do, he would cut on that tree. And over a period of a couple months, not only did he lose the 10 pounds, but he lost another 10 pounds beside. Because he was getting his muscle yeah. mass back. And yeah. that's the key. I mean muscle – one pound of fat burns about three calories a day. One pound of muscle burns 300 calories a day. So just do the math. Yeah. You know, if you, you become a fat-burning machine – Mm-hmm. Uh, and this also applies to to diet don't do not get me wrong I mean nutrition is a really key piece to this, mm-hmm. but as far as again, the physical fitness aspect of maintaining our bodies has yeah. to do
0: a lot with uh, with strength to tie it theologically as we think about motivations you 've given us some scripture i 'm thinking even first corinthians you know you you are not your own oh, you yep. belong body and soul yep. to you 're the lord 's yeah. body 's temple the holy spirit right yep. and and so what should Christians think you know it's January, I want fitness. What is my core motivation? It's so easy to go down the vanity path and it could be easy to go down the just negligence path. What should be our that driving force that's feeding us that's you know encouraging even the even the short sort of ten minutes a day model? well, I think initially you you want to you want
1: to be careful not to bite off more than you can chew, uh, and one of the big things that I try to get across to people is it takes time you didn't. Gain that ten pounds, or that fifteen pounds, or twenty pounds, in a month. Right. It maybe took a year or two years. It becomes it's you know once you're at a certain age and the chemistry begins to change in the body and so forth, the weight starts and it's very subtle, Mm -hmm. very subtle. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like the frog in the beaker kind of thing, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's just happening. And then for any change to be permanent, you've got to be willing to to Live with that change for the rest of your life. Yeah. So be careful to only make changes that you can stick with because those are the only ones that ultimately are going to make a difference. Okay? Rather than Now, that's not to say if you came to me and you said, um, oh, Dave, I'm in the wedding you know, uh, a month from now and I need, I need to lose 15 pounds. Can you help me? Yes, I can. And we can lose that. If you do what I say, we can lose that 15 pounds. Mm. But you're going to gain it right back because there's no way right. you're going to live your life right. <laughs> like you did that month to get the 15 pounds off, okay? Yeah. And this yeah. is a lot of what happens. People cycle yeah. through this stuff. So you got to make small changes. and just, So bite off small pieces and then just make sure that you incorporate that in as a habit. Shoot for 21 days. Shoot for, you know, 60 days. Shoot. And just stick with it. And then once you – I think once the change starts happening – and you start seeing and feeling the results of that, then you get motivated to do more. But Mm -hmm. the problem with that is it's going to be a while before that happens. Mm -hmm. And you have Mm -hmm. to be patient. You have to trust the process. Carry it out to six months and then see what Mm -hmm. actually happens there. You have to make yourself do it and discipline yourself to do it in order to get there. For every change to be permanent, you've got to be willing to live permanently with that change for the rest of your life. Otherwise, don't go, go go there. I visually use an example of sh- – I'll show a picture of uh, someone with tattoos all over their body. Right. OK. Say so, that speaks to permanence. OK. Now, the next picture is of a woman with three different colored hair. OK. Temporary. That's temporary. Yeah. That's the way – the, the girl with the colored hair is the way we approach most things. Yeah. Because, yeah, it, it changed. The hair will grow back and whatever. Tattoo – you got to think of it more like a tattoo. It's it's a you're – you're making a – permanent change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Dave, 10 minutes. How did you come up with a a number like that? (laughs) Well, that's interesting. It's from the NFL, believe it or not. And in
1: fact, this was a front page article in the Wall Street Journal, I think, maybe three or four Super Bowls ago. So the the week leading into the Super Bowl, this was front page Wall Street Journal was telling this story that I'm going to tell you. So here's the way it works. If you're sitting on the couch. Let's take uh, any of the playoff games we just saw, college or with a professional football game. Right. And you have a stopwatch. And you start the watch when the ball is snapped, put into play. And you stop it when the whistle blows. Okay? Yeah. Now, how long is a game? Game's 60 minutes. Right. Okay? Yeah, I have actual playing time for the game. The yeah. actual game takes about four hours with commercials. That's right. So, for, yes. so think about it. So you're yeah. on the couch. Yeah.
0: The Super Bowl's nine you're, hours. You're, yeah,
1: right. <laughs> you're sitting on the couch, four hours – you're going through this. You're punching the stopwatch. At the end of the 60 minutes or at the end of the four hours, how much time on average is on your stopwatch? I'm guessing 10 minutes. It's, a, it's 11 minutes <laughs> on average. Wow. Now, stop and think about that. It's amazing. Yeah. So the athletes out there, they're, most of the time, they're standing around. They're in the huddle. They're in the, uh, yeah. uh, on the bench. Yeah. But, so it's about ballistic yes. movement. Right. Okay. And this is where things got really skewed with the whole aerobics deal. Okay. Uh, aerobics is aerobics isn't even a word. The word aerobics, it, it's, it's a made up word. Right. Aerobic means air means right. with air. Right. Okay. And so in the 60s and in the 70s, and it still was going strong in the 80s, the whole thing was this whole to, to get aerobically fit, so cardiovascular to system and so forth. Yeah. You had to do like 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you right. know, uh, steady state, and you get up into your target zone and you do all of this kind of thing, and it's all to strengthen your heart, you know, and your cardiovascular system. No. Here's another interesting question. Who of the athletes,
0: who has the strongest heart, do you think? Uh, in terms of sport? Mm-hmm. Um, swimmers? Sprinters. Oh. Uh. Sprinters. Wow. Oh, Right. Short, Short, burst, yeah. Burst, yeah. ballistic. Okay.
1: A marathon runner's heart actually shrinks because it's not that it's, the body can't adapt to that. It does, but we're not necessarily designed to run 26 miles without stopping. Right. <laughs> so what I tell people is, look, I'm not knocking. If, if you do that, if you, you run long, you do the 5Ks and you do this, that's great. Okay. But that's not creating the strong heart that you really want and need. Yeah. So if you want the stronger heart, again, you want you want the intense, you know, short duration yeah. movement, yeah. okay, versus the long. So talk about setting you free. Now, walking's great. I mean, walk, you know, walk, move, okay, again, because we're sitting so much. Right. I mean, I if I didn't have a job where I was sitting as much as I would, I wouldn't do the walking that I do. Yeah. But I do be, I have to be intentional with that because I'm, we're sitting 12, yeah. 12 to 14 hours a day. Yeah. But anyway, that sets you free. You don't have to do that to get a strong heart, okay? The other secret that I've discovered was with isometrics, okay? So isometrics are a a big part of that 10-minute intensity deal. And here's an amazing part. Isometrics have made a real comeback, okay? And, And as well it should because it's a really, really effective way to build strength in a very little time. right? And the way that ho- – how it got started was back in World War II we, when the war ended, we had men and women in, in makeshift hospitals all over the world, OK, and injured. Yeah. And so for the first time, they really started thinking about what, what – we're going to have a lot of atrophy <laughs> set in here with these people bedridden for this amount of time. What's going to happen in the body when that's the case yeah. that we need to get on top of and, and so on? So uh, – there was a Springfield study in Springfield, Massachusetts, did a study to try to determine that. And what they did is they took frogs and they bound one of their legs, okay, so that it couldn't move. One leg can move, the other leg can't. And so over a period of several weeks, they let the frogs go. They'd kind of hop crooked and they let them go. And then after the time, they did not expect to see what they saw. And what they saw was that the arm that was bound was four to five, six times stronger than the one that was not. They thought, well, it's bound up. It's, it will atrophy and whatever. No, because it, it, it was doing isometrics constantly, which right. <laughs> is full force against an immovable object. Yeah. So it was trying to, in trying to get loose and fighting and thinking, I believe I can, I believe yeah. I can, and yeah. fighting. It was building tremendous strength. Wow. And kind of during that same time, there's a guy, I can't remember his name, but he was, I think in Germany, he was in a, uh, he was thrown into prison. shouldn't really have happened. happened kind of during the war. Right. And he did a lot of isometrics, kept pulling on the bars literally. It's like every day he would pull on the bars, try to separate. It. And pretty soon he was able to pull them enough to get out. He escaped. And then he became one of those kind of circus strongmen guys, you know, who could bend steel and do all that stuff. It was all isometrics. Wow. And many people who um, – uh, who's a big martial arts um, – uh, the one going back uh, – what's his name? Oh, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Lee did almost nothing but isometrics in terms of his workout along with stretching and other things. So uh, it's an extremely effective way. And what you can do with isometrics is you can shortcut the process. So let's give an example with push-ups, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you get down to do – and you can do 25 push-ups, the last five do you far more good than the first 20. Mm -hmm. You're doing the 20 – to get you to the end where you can, we're maximizing. Like a or something. That's oh, right. Yeah. So, if you get down to do the the push up and you go down halfway and isometrically hold in that position for as long as you can, which is probably only going to be it's similar to a plank, you know, except right. you're, uh, right. you know, it's good. Then, when you're done with that, wait just a little bit and now do as many as you can of the repetitions. You just shortcut the process. Yeah. It's going to take and, and you never need to do this is the other, this would be the tip going forward, okay, mm-hmm. for the new year. Single set to failure. Single set to failure. You do not need to do multiple sets, ever. Yeah. Okay? That's mu- right. The muscle doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. The brain doesn't know right. that you don't. It, it's all, you've done all that you need to do yeah. if you go to failure. That last repetition, last two, couple reps, they'll be less than perfect at that point as right. far as form and technique yeah. because you're, you're, you're wobbling and you're crooked and all the rest. But when you're done, that's it. Now, a little bit of rest and move on to your, to your next step, right. to your next exercise.
0: So, Dave, I have a final question for you, and I, it's been on my mind for a while. What is your New Year's resolution this year? 2020, Dave Hubbard.
1: Well, interesting. My my New Year's resolution centers, are, are, uh, interestingly enough, around health and fitness. In terms of kind of from a project standpoint, uh, what I'm going forward with. You know, we did. I just mentioned I did the infomercials and all, and that was years ago. Yeah. And I came off. I kind of got burned out. Yeah. Without that point, that you know, they're trying to hype everything, and, and I'm not a hype guy, especially when it comes to fitness, right. Is it, And and so I went off and did some other things, did some entrepreneurial things, and. And uh, some ministry things and so on, but I had all this content. It was like, what do I do with this? It's like a room, I could open a door and it's just a room full of stuff. And it seems sad to just leave it there because there's a lot of valuable stuff there. And so, what I've done is been over the course of this this last year, kind of setting everything up. And we're really going to to launch after the after the first of the year with a a website that's just. Uh, has the it's just it's the informational and it's the exercise. So it, it would be my New Year's resolution would be to stay with it to produce the content that will mm. support that subscription model. Mm. All of these exercises can be done by anyone at anywhere and at any age. It doesn't require equipment or, or, or anything like that. And you just – you learn and you grow and it's also keeping you kind of up to date with the the latest science on health and fitness and all that sort of thing. So it's – there's a
0: it's, – it's not going to be easy to – uh, stay on pace with that, right.
1: but uh, that, that, will be, that will be my goal for next year.
0: Well, I mean, I think um, I think you, you've definitely challenged me and, and definitely our team in here. We're all about to do our push-ups as soon as we leave. I'm not leaving until you do, so. <laughs> <laughs> Point of failure. There will be much failure. Dave Hubbard, 10 minutes a day. I think it's achievable. We can all sort of think on these things. Uh, we are not our own. We belong to Christ, body and soul. Dave Hubbard, thank you so much for being on Candid. You're very welcome. Nice to be here. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit ltw.org slash candid to connect with these pages and to share your questions with me. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Thanks for listening.